Welcome to the Building Fighter Podcast. This is uh, Alex Friedman, a titled badass strength coach out of Denver, Colorado, um, working at Landau Performance. And I'm here with my interviewee, my guest today. We're going to do a little treat for you guys, and I'm going to interview Austin, um, get a good background on him and see exactly what he does and what he's about, and yeah, just give you guys some information in that realm. So I got Austin Shane, a doctorate of chiropractic, um, warrior, owner of Warrior Sports Wellness in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, yeah, like I said, we're just going to kind of dig into it and see what Austin is all about. Bro, we're in Scottsdale. We bougie. Oh, whatever. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Good job. Um, but from that, Austin, take it off. And I'm sure you can um, explain your titles and your background better than I did just then as I messed up the, the town that you're in. <laughs> I do a lot of shit. Yeah, I know. Uh, I am a doctor of chiropractic with a master's in sports medicine. Um, I also operate as a strength coach for a lot of my athletes as well. Um, I feel like Alex will laugh at this. I feel like most people can just like anybody can get a CSCS right now. So I'm a CSCS, but eh. <laughs> yeah, good job. Uh, <laughs> um, and then also uh, I do obviously I'm part co-owner of building a fighter with Alex. Um, and then I help coach wrestling at two separate gyms in the area. Um, I help specifically with just the pro team at fight ready MMA in Scottsdale, Arizona. So home to people like, um, let's say Henry Corrales, Hunter Azure, Jonathan Pierce, Tracy Cortez, all these different people. Uh, it's Henry Spino's main gym, but I don't specifically work with Henry. Um, and as well as over at siege MMA, uh, and that's where I am the wrestling coach over there. And I help uh, the Jawayan, Kamwela Kirk, just got his mm-hmm. first dub in the UFC, uh, as well as some up-and-comers over there. So that is, that's kind of my background, where I'm at right now. Um, as far as my past, I have wrestled since I was six. Um, I grew up in Illinois, all the way through the Illinois wrestling system. So Illinois wrestling, for those that aren't familiar with wrestling, I, I tell everybody I'm proud as fuck to be from Illinois and Illinois wrestling. It's a culture that's helped make me the person I am today. Um, it's, it's a cool group of people that are extremely tight knit and we also win a lot. I think while I was on, I, while I was with team Illinois at Fargo, I think we won everything, literally everything <laughs> every year, every year. Um, but it's helped give me a base and helped. I, I was never, I, I always tell people I was, I personally never got an all American at Fargo. Um, I, I did really well in folk style a couple of years and got some national national places in folk style, but freestyle and Greco, I never all married. Um, but it was a, awesome for me to be a part of a team that had such a high level of coaching staff. And for me in my current profession, I think it's helped me tremendously being a part of that team and being a part of that culture because it's helped me become a better coach. I got to see top tier coaching firsthand working, working on me and see how like you could have fun and still get to work. And that's something that I, I take pride in. Um, and then from there, from high school, I went to UW Lacrosse, where me and Alex met each other. I uh, wrestled there for the three years that I was there um, on varsity all three years. And yeah, I had a laundry list of injuries and a lot of concussions that kept me out of certain competitions. But we here now, and my brain ain't better, but it'll do. <laughs> it will do. Um, yeah, so I mean, obviously you... You wear a lot of hats, as I think I've heard you say um, before, with the chiropractic, strength and conditioning, wrestling coach, um, in and out of fight ready, everything else. So, I mean, that's what you are as a chiropractor, your strength and conditioning coach, your wrestling coach. 
but I, I want you to go into a little bit more deeply. What is it that you do? What, what do you do with the athletes? What is your, um, your magnus opus, if you will? Yeah, for sure. So pause. Coffee went down the wrong pipe. <coughs> Fuck. I was thinking I didn't right. even drink coffee this morning. So that's true. Um, but so what do I do? Um, how, how I describe what I do to my athletes and, and how I describe it to other people is I, I want to be the head coach of your performance. That, that is realistically what I do. I'm not going to be the head skill coach. But what I, what I can do is I can make sure your body feels good through recovery methods, through different, and, and also recover from injuries. So I do the people that get hurt in fights or in camp. I try to maintain that level, level of health and boost that. Um, I also, uh, obviously, so I'm who has a lot of one-on-one time. I probably have the most one-on-one time with my athletes out of any coach I've met because I have the, the three different facets. So I pride myself and what I really do is I, I build relationships at the end of the day. That's, that's what I think my job is. Yeah. I build relationships with athletes that I hope last for a very long time and also allow them to gain, gain an increase in performance, a decrease in injury, as well as an increase in confidence. Because we all know that a good relationship and having a good center, like having a good team behind you is going to boost your confidence going into your fights. So I guess at the end of the day, if I put, had to put in one sentence, I build long-lasting relationships that benefit athletes. All right. I think that's a pretty pretty good and pretty well-succinct um, answer because, like you said, you have such a multifaceted background, and I think that's readily applied in today's day and age um, and being kind of that that support role. And it, it preaches exactly what building a fire is about, right, is having understanding and knowledge in every area. Like you said, you're not the head st- skill coach, right, because you're not the one guy doing the one thing, but you have enough knowledge to be functional and to be good in every area. And I think that's that's important to get to that area. So if you had an ideal performance team or you had an ideal um, set of parameters around an athlete, what would that look like? Well, in reality, I, I don't want to have to be as multifaceted as I, as I am. Okay. Um, I feel like I've said that multiple times on the, on the podcast. In, in, in a high-performance team, I think it shouldn't be one person doing all of those roles. I think it should be a multitude of people doing those roles. So moving forward with, with Warrior Sports Wellness, and actually if, if we decide to turn Building a Fighter into a home base of some sort in the future, what I, I would like to be the director of... Uh, performance care, strength condition, or sorry, not strength condition, the director of healthcare um, and director of performance care is how, how I label what I do. Um, and realistically, there's going to be somebody that's in charge of skill work, in charge of strength and conditioning, and then in charge of dietetics. That's the one thing I don't do a lot with my athletes is I don't do a whole bunch of dietetics. Uh, if, if you know me one-on-one, you know that my diet ain't the greatest. Um, and I'm just a super picky eater. It's not that it's not that I have a shitload of fast food every day, but I, I'm a picky eater. I like what I like, and I work out enough to where it's okay for now. <laughs> for now, yeah, <laughs> but, that's the key. Yeah, for key now, um, but but yeah. So realistically, I'd like to have a team around me at some point once once I start to grow within the field and start to make a name for myself, um, and also have the financial resources to support a team. Uh, that realistically has the betterment of athletes in mind because you could be the best strength coach in the world, but if you can't actually connect with an athlete, if you don't care about that athlete, if you don't, if you don't care about the other shit, not just being an athlete, but being a human, I don't want you on my team. I really don't. Yeah. I I think that's, 
I mean, that's a, a pivotal point in coaching in itself. And, and we can talk about, you know, whether you're, you have the chiropractic hat on, whether you have the wrestling coach hat on, like it's all coaching, the interpersonal mm-hmm. relationship and, and mm-hmm. trying to help an athlete get from point A to point B within whatever scope you're at. It's all coaching, right? Mm-hmm. So um, given that, what, what is your view on like a coaching approach? How do you, do you approach each discipline differently? Like, do you have a different coaching approach when you're doing the healthcare and chiropractic? Do you have a different coaching approach when you're on the wrestling mat versus on the SNC floor? Like, I guess, how do you negotiate that? It's, it, it's tricky. Uh, I'll be honest. It, it's tricky. So, uh, when I know, I know when I'm in certain roles, so when I'm just in the healthcare role, I know I have to be a little bit more empathetic. Um, okay. So I, I need to actually hear that, like, not that I don't hear the people, but I really need to focus on their feelings a little bit more. And how is this, say somebody uh, strained their calf? How is, how, and they are supposed to fight in three weeks and we're trying to do the best we can to make it better. How, how is this going to impact them moving forward? And how can I be of best service? I know how I could be of best service and benefit them the best I can. It's not just by throwing needles in their calf. It's not just by doing muscle work. It's about hearing them, hearing their mm-hmm. feelings on the at different aspects, hearing, hearing why they're frustrated and why these different, I guess, injuries, whatever it may be, are affecting them mentally. Because we know that stress is stress is stress. We say it all the time. So I'm there, like people joke that I'm, I'm a therapist like in the room, like a lot of the times it's, I'm just listening to what they have to say while I'm doing my job and I'm responding as I go. It's a lot less about the actual hands-on work and a lot more about the talking and having, hearing what their experience with the injury. Then I go into the strength and conditioning side of things. Um, and not to say that I'm not empathetic in there and I take recovery seriously and all these different things, but I, I get to be a little bit more of a hard ass, a, a little bit more where, Hey, I know you necessarily don't want to do those 150 pound sandbag cleans, but guess what? This is going to be what boosts your performance moving forward. This is going to be what takes you to the next level. We need to, I just had this conversation with an athlete. We're working on max strength yesterday and he had asked me, well, this isn't going to make me sore for tomorrow. Right. And we have little, we have big glove sparring today, but it's not, it's not a super technical spar. It's not supposed to be a 10 out of 10. It's supposed to be a seven. So in reality, I, I don't necessarily care if it makes them sore we're so far out from the fight that the main priority is building max strength and then i get to have that conversation with the athlete where i'm like hey you are going to be sore that's that's max strength sorry bud but what it is going to do and and why you're still going to do it and i'm not letting you leave until you do it is and it's fun that i can say that because i'm also the wrestling coach so i can just fucking hold him there um and i'm not going to let you leave until you do it because it's going to give you an overall benefit for your fight I don't really care about tomorrow sparring. I care that you are ready to go when you step on or step in on that canvas in August okay. for that specific athlete. So having those conversations, I get to be a little bit more of a hard ass and, and put on that hat a little bit where, yeah. Hey, I know you don't want to do it, but we got to do it. And that's, what's best for you. And then we go into wrestling. And I think my biggest benefit as a wrestling coach um, compared to the different coaches I've been around is that I bring in a biomechanics lens. I bring in like, hey, this is just physics, bro. Like if we're yeah. cage wrestling, if you if you put pressure here and the opponent puts pressure coming back to you at that same way, guess what we have to do if you want to take them down? We can't just keep pushing back and forth. That's mm-hmm. going to match pressure. We need to either go up and down or we need to go left to right because there's three planes of movement. If you're only playing in one, 
then you're kind of fucked. Mm-hmm. And that's that's that scientific aspect where we're, we're dealing with movement planes. We're dealing with joint biomechanics. Hey, you probably shouldn't be trying to lift somebody off the cage with a fully rounded back. That's not going to give you the maximal boot activation in order to get that lift and then end up off of the cage so that they can't get back up. So taking that scientific and the biomechanics approach, I get to use that lens a lot with wrestling because that's my strength. And that's, that's helped me connect with the athletes a lot because I don't know why, but it's a strength of mine that I can relay that type of stuff in a very simple way. Maybe it's because I'm more of a fighter than a fucking doctor in the first place. Um, but yeah. that it's helped, it's helped me a lot in my beginning of my coaching to help them go to the next level. Definitely. And I think exactly like you're saying, like each discipline complements the next, right? But it's not the same thing. It's not like you're wrestling on the mat in a way that a doctor would have you wrestle to stay safe, right. Right? right? You're you're still a wrestler on the mat just with the added lens and benefit of having the, the scientific lens, like you're saying, or you're still a strength and conditioning coach on the floor with the added lens of knowing the recovery and knowing the sport demands and the means there. Like yep. those, again, I think complimentary. And I think we had a good conversation with Tim last time on a podcast where we talked about seeing those things for what they are. It's not that we want to take the wrestling mat and then do the exact same movement in the weight room, but we want to train in the weight room for the demands on the wrestling mat in a general sense. Same thing with the, the performance care. We want to take care of those issues in a uh, specific setting so that we can translate them to a general uh, approach on the strength and conditioning floor. It doesn't mean that we're going to do the same exercises for your acute ankle pain that we're going to do on this exercise or the strength and conditioning floor, excuse me. So right. complimenting, but not, um staying i guess siloed or staying um super rigid in your beliefs there but i also think it's interesting like you're saying that each context brings out a different part of you as a coach right because i think as people and having personalities we act different within different contexts and i don't think that that's fake or that's you know, putting on a show or whatever. I think that's a reality of every social situation that we're in. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're still, you, you just act differently, uh, dependent on the context, which again, if I'm BSing with an athlete on the, on the wrestling floor, that's going to be different than if we're in a super serious situation on a strength and conditioning, or we're dealing with an injury, right. It's just different contexts elicit different reactions. Well, and I think what you said, that's very important is the situation dictates, dictates how you respond. <clears throat> like for me, I'm, I'm a different coach when Santino's there, our, he- our head grappling co- or our head coach, but head grappling coach versus if I'm running the practice, because if there's somebody else there that's running the practice, then I, I know that I need to defer to him. He has the plan. I need to help him any way I can, but it's not me running the show. I add right. little tidbits when I'm running the practice, those athletes are looking to you for guidance. They're looking to you to how can you help me and how can you make me better? And you, not that you always need to have the answers because it, it takes courage. It takes confidence to be able to say, I don't really know. I just had to have, like, I had an athlete that sent me an MRI report yesterday. And I, I honestly had to say, I need to do more research because I'm not as familiar with this condition as I should. And that's okay. But when I'm on the wrestling mat and I, and they ask a question, I need to be the one that I'm there. I'm answering the questions. I'm doing these different things. But if there's other people around that are leading the charge, you need to know when to defer. You need to know yeah, when to back absolutely. up because that's not your goal. And the same can be said in all of the other lenses. If you're on the floor with four different coaches in a strength conditioning facility, you're not, unless you're the, the head honcho, unless it's your facility, you're not necessarily the one that should be guiding them, right? Mm-hmm. 
you may be the one that certain athletes look up to. And if you are split it up by groups or whatever it may be, but if there's somebody that's supposed to be in charge, you, sh- you don't just go over the top and you, you take over everything, which is something that I've, I've done in the past a lot. I try to like, oh, it needs to be this way. I need it to be just like this because this is how it has to be because I have the fucking plan. And that's, that's fucking great. But for me personally, I've, I've seen that that turns more people away than brings people to me. Yeah. So knowing when to take the charge and knowing when to back up is all situational. And it's, it's another aspect that I feel like kind of gets neglected in coaching because it's a coaching dynamic, not just with you and the athlete, but also the strength and relationship between the coaching staff can be seen. And, it, and it's a, a feeling that fighters get, right? Yeah. If your coaching staff isn't in sync or if there's a power struggle or whatever it may be, athletes sense that and athletes know that. And as soon as they know that, there's going to be a lot more problems that rise up from the cracks. Because as soon as there's a crack in the coaching staff, guess what? The athletes are going to start piling on because they're going to not get all of the different attention that they think they should deserve. And if somebody else is having problems, oh, guess what? The person that's their practice partner is going to have problems. And then everything snowballs into, boom, one big explosion. So it's it's cool to be able to wear a bunch of different hats because it's helped me develop as a coach extremely fast in a short amount of time. Not saying that I know everything, but I've developed really fast in the last two years. It's it's helped me tremendously. But on top of that, it's allowed me to understand a power dynamic that I've never really understood before where, hey, you don't always have to be the guy. You can take a step back and let other people do things, but you're still benefiting your athletes by giving one-on-one attention and just doing like little tidbits, giving one-on-one tips instead of trying to speak to the whole group as a whole. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Knowing your role is a hundred percent very important especially on the coaching staff and i think um it comes down to communication you know not just in a coach to athlete uh sense but a communication as far as coach to coach and a communication is knowing your expectations knowing what your role is for the practice knowing what your role is period in a camp maybe uh just knowing how you relate and who's relating relaying the information to the athlete so that all comes down to being comfortable where you're at and having genuine conversations with other coaches, having genuine conversations with the athletes, having mm-hmm. a genuine conversation with yourself. You know, am I the best person to be in this leadership position or do I need to defer and have, you know, somebody else be the head coach and I, I'm better at the supporting role? Because even if, let's say you have the answer, even if I have the answer, I know what I think should be done or what is right, it still might be more effective to bite my tongue and be part of the team and go along with that, even though I have a differing opinion personally. So I oh, think yeah. that exactly what you're saying, it's huge to to know your role, keep your ego in check, and just understand um, what is happening socially and power dynamic-wise around yourself and around the fighter because they're ultimately the center of the of the universe in their own camp, right? So mm-hmm. that's where we need to be. So how do you go about that as far as communicating with your other coaches, with your athletes, communicating what that plan, what that, um, I guess, master outlook looks like? Yeah, Um Again, I, I feel like I say it a lot, but I, I got really, really lucky in my situation. It's yes, I worked hard, all these different things, but I had a fuck ton of luck um, that's helped me helped me get to the point that I'm at with a relationship with our coaching staff. So, like, I got lucky, and I say that because Santino is is now kind of like a big brother to me, if you will. Like, he's helped me out tremendously 
Um, and I can have open and honest communication if I feel as though something is wrong. And he's the head coach of the, of the fight team. So that right there is an easy way for me. If I see like something's wrong, I text Santino immediately and I'm like, hey, we got to talk about this. And we have an open and honest communication. I see his side. He sees my side. Um, and then if something changes, great. If it doesn't change, if he has a reason why we're doing X, Y, and Z, then I learn. I write it down in my little notebook. So I, I know that for the future. And then we move forward. Um, yeah. The same can be said with all the other coaches. We have a group chat with the coaches um, and that whenever I'm a part of, because I don't do all of our fighters, strength and conditioning or healthcare, but I do, a, a, I would say the vast majority. If it's one of my fighters, that's also a fight ready athlete. We're in a coat. We're in a group chat every single day. And maybe like Kamuela, Kamuela sends me and Santino, his recovery scores every morning. And then me and Santino hop on a call. Hey, what, what do we need to modify today? Say he woke up at negative 10 on his polar strap or on his polar watch, and which is the lowest it could be fully red for the day. Hey, what do we need to modify? Should, should, Santino's calling me. What do we need to do for recovery? What are all these different aspects? And I'm calling him. Hey, what can we modify in the strength or on the skill side to where he can do a little bit of jujitsu training or a little bit of bag work, but he's at a negative 10. So we need to modify the intensity and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a huge deal to be able to openly and honestly communicate with the coaching staff, but also know that it has to, I feel like communication is the biggest word. If it's one person dominating the whole time, it doesn't work. And I'm guilty of that. I know like our entire coaching staff at some point is guilty of that. But when it's a meshing or a, a very fluent conversation where everybody has their says, not everybody has to be right, but everybody gets their points across without arguing or feeling targeted. That's when the biggest growth occurs. And I feel like that at with when we have those conversations as, as a coaching staff that I'm a part of, it always leads to better results mm -hmm. instead of if one person's leading the show. And then everybody else is like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because that never works. If there's, yeah. if, there's, if there's one person that's trying to lead the dance and there's not open and honest communication from each separate facet of the camp, then something's going to get neglected well, because somebody's not saying their, their piece. Yeah. And I think the problems really arise when it's not just one person trying to lead the dance, when it's like three or four or two. Right. Yeah. My part's the most important part. No, yeah. my part's the most important part. Yeah. And then in the reality, none of your parts are the most important part. It's how the athlete feels is the most everything, important yeah, part. It's everything together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. When when did coaches and, and like I think strength and conditioning specific gets a really bad rap for this, but I think coaches in general. What when did, where did we go wrong on like the ego tipping scale of things? Like why is you know your way the it's your way or the highway or why why do I know everything and I, I have the most important opinion? I think coaching in general, there's a lot of that like ego interplay back and forth or that, that like I know and you don't. I think it's there's a lot of pressure in that sense, like because, you know, I have to know because I'm the coach or whatever. Right. But it's like it's just like where did that get lost along the way of like have some humility and, you know, social skills and emotional intelligence? Like, well, my, my honest opinion is it's a fine line between you want to show your worth right? You yeah. want to show that you're worth that percentage that you're getting paid. You want to show that you're worth those monthly dues that you're getting paid. But mm -hmm. people neglect to realize that it's not just one person that shows the worth. It's the collective that shows the worth. So if it's, it's not just about Austin, it's about 
the entire coaching staff behind Henry Corrales. That's how you show your best work. And it's as soon as people start to break it up or like, I know in different parts of the country, like California, as an example, these different athletes need to drive to four or five different spots. So they have a separate jujitsu spot. Then they have a separate wrestling spot. Then they have a separate place that they spar like black house. Um, and then they have a separate Muay Thai gym. And all of it, that's when the biggest problems arise is when everybody feels like they're the head honcho and you have to show your worth because you want to be worth that 5% that they're giving you. And the athlete wants you to be worth that 5% that they're giving you. But you got to realize that for different fights and for different scenarios, like maybe Muay Thai is up here for one fight and, and up at the top of the list. But then maybe for the next fight where, hey, we're going against a really, really good Thai fighter. They're probably not, we're not going to beat them in, ta- in Muay Thai in the striking battle. So we're going to have to prioritize grappling. And it's this fluid dynamic between all of these different facets that is really how you show your worth and show that you're good. You have to be the most adaptable person on the roster. Typically, the most adaptable person on the roster is who lasts the longest in that athlete's camp, from what I've seen. Absolutely. And if you're if if you're rigid, that always leads to problems. Yeah, man, that's something that I've been noticing just in in my own coaching, but also um, you know in life overall. It's there's such an unwillingness to accept complex or complicated or you know fluid and adapting things. Like everybody wants things to be black and white. They want it to be simple. They want to have the answer. They want this and that, where it's like things would go much more smoothly and more effective if you just understand and accept that some shit is complex. Some stuff is hard, you know, and like, and I'm not saying that everything needs to be that way, but like, understand that this is going to be a complicated, you know, road or like communication is not straightforward. It's not simple. Um, But we accept that and we move on and we can make it simple. We can, we can use a simple method to alleviate the complexity of communication. I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's a good avenue to go or, you know, or you get to the next step where you figure out a way to make those complex things really simple in the effect or in the practice. And I think that's, that's where we go wrong is we try to skip that middle step of really understanding the complexity, trying to skip that middle step of accepting that some shit is just hard and Mm -hmm. ever changing. No. And that's uh, one of my athletes just had to sit down with Jason house who, if you don't know, if you're not familiar with MMA, so he's, he's the, CEO, owner, founder of Iridium Sports Management. It's probably, I think they have the most athletes on roster with the UFC. Yeah. Them or them or Sucker Punch. Two, and yeah. whether you love them, whether you love them or you hate them, because a lot of people have both, mm-hmm. you got to fucking respect him because he hustles, he grinds, and he's, at the end of the day, he's great at his job. But the one thing he said to my athlete was like, look, some days you're not going to like me. Some days you're, you're going to want to fire. But at the end of the day, you need to know that even though I'm telling you hard truths and some things are just hard to fucking do, I always have your best interest in mind. That's never going to waver. So whether you like what I say or you hate what I say, I'm going to have your best interest and there's going to be up and downs in this relationship. But the longer you stick with me, the more I promise I'm going to give you 110% of my, I'm like, fuck, like that's basically how, like that conversation right there is how I handle my relationships with my athletes. It's you might not like me some days and I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be that dude that's just jerking you off in the back saying, oh, you're the best athlete there. That's not me. That's never going to, I'm going to be the guy that, Hey, I might not say, I might not say the thing you want to hear. But you got to trust that this is the exact thing that's going to make you better. And this is the exact thing from my expertise that's going to get you to that next level. And we're going to have disagreements. I have disagreed. I'm, I'm an abrasive person. I'm very well aware of this. 
So we're going to go back and forth a lot. And if you don't want that, that's fine. I have these other options. I'm fine pushing you to other people if I'm not the right spot. But if you stick with me, I promise you, I'm going to give you 110% of my effort at all points in time. And at the end of the day, hopefully we rise to the top together. And realistically, that's how in the in the future, every athlete I work with, that's, that's the number one goal I, or the number one, I guess, thought or feeling that they should have when they work with me is that, hey, I might not like him all the time. But I know that motherfucker looks out. Well, absolutely, man. And, and again, I mean, it goes back to when you're a kid on the playground. It's like, you know, the right thing to do is not always the most popular thing to do. Huh? The right thing to do is not the easiest thing to do. Like, it would be, it's so easy to say, how are you feeling today? Oh, you're not feeling that good? Okay, we can take a day off. Or, yeah. or yeah, man, that was a great session. You know, when it was like really a crap session. It's like, it's easy to say those things and to just be the the supportive guy or the the guy that tells you what you want to hear, it's a little harder to be the real guy, the genuine guy, the, the person that has your back 100% of the time is going to call you on your bullshit. But those are kind of, those are the real people. Those are people mm-hmm. who are in your corner. So that's a, I think that's a great outlook on just human relationships in, in general, which I think we, we, we highlighted too. It's like, you know, athletes are athletes, coaches are coaches, but everyone's a human. You know, treat people like humans, like actual people. Yeah. You know? So I think that's well, the golden rule. Some, treat people how you want to be treated. That at the end of the day, yeah, that that's goes, if I, I that's yeah. what I expect out of my athletes. That they give me one hundred and ten percent. So if I'm only giving them seventy, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah, then uh, that gets so lost in the the minutia of what we think is important or what we think we need to be doing at a certain time and place. Um, but I do want to pivot a little bit and talk. We talked a lot about like performance and uh, I guess the the whole paradigm of coaching in MMA and um, what your goal with your athletes are, but. I want to go a little bit more on the healthcare and chiropractic side yeah. um, of things. Shoot. Because there are so many people in the world, I mean, myself included a little while back, that have a lot of misnomers about what chiropractors are and what they do. Um, so, <laughs> so here's your, your opportunity to go on your soapbox and, and talk about oh, what is yeah. what is actual I, – I don't even want you to describe chiropractic, okay? I don't, I don't think we need to get into that a can of worms, but I want you to describe what you do and then identify what role chiropractic plays in that. Because um, again, chiropractic gets a lot of bad reps everywhere, but I want you to, and this is what opened my eyes, the way that you explained it to me and the way that I see you practice is that like, man, this is not something I would call chiropractic, but go ahead. No, that's fine. Um, I th- Listen, I tell everybody that I'm proud as fuck to be a chiropractor. I am. I, I love it. I never want to like people, people call me a physical therapist sometimes. Cause I probably, if you talk about like how I practice, it's probably more similar to what you would imagine a physical therapist does, yeah. but I correct them immediately. Like some, um, one of my athletes recently like put up, like get you a physical therapist that does this. And I messaged him in there. I'm like, bro, you know, I'm a chiropractor, right? Like label me as such and not to be a dick, but I, I love that I'm a chiropractor. Now that being said, Mm-hmm. I cannot stand how probably 85 to 90% of my profession treats their people. And it's not, not in reality, it's not any fault of their own. It's how the system was created. It's how insurance bills, it's how you make money as a Cairo, right? We know from insurance, if you're an insurance-based practice, you're only getting paid for adjustments for the most part. So guess what? You're just going to fucking adjust somebody. If you, at the end of the day, you're there for a paycheck, that's what you're going to do. Um, so how I practice I, I typically, I don't do like, Hey, this is how much for an adjustment. Hey, this is how much for dry needling. Hey, this is how much for rehab. It's a flat fee for an hour, 30 minutes or 15 minutes of service. And you just, it's one of those things that if you're coming to me, 
I know you already trust me that I have your best interest. You're not coming into me and saying like, I, I get people that Facebook message me or Instagram message me at my business account. And they're like, Hey, uh, can I come in for some dry needling? And every single time my response mm-hmm. will, and always will be, you can come in and we can do an assessment. And if I think dry needling needs to be done, that's great. But I'm not just going to stab you with needles. Out of nowhere because like, that's why I did all that stupid fucking school is <laughs> <laughs> because I tell everybody like, it's, it's not hard to adjust. It's not hard to dry needle. It's not hard to do muscle work. I send patients home with doing self muscle work all the time. It's hard to know when to apply these tools. That's the hard part that I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm not just a chiropractor. I'm, I'm a doctor, right? I'm a doctor of chiropractic. And that's why I feel comfortable saying that is because I know my diagnostic skills come first at the end of the day. It's, that's why doctors are doctors is because the diagnostics, it's not hard to fucking write a script for a medical doctor, <laughs> mm-hmm. for painkillers. It's hard to know which painkiller to pick. Is it acute, chronic? Is it is it a bone, muscle joint? Is it neurologic? These are all these different avenues that lead you towards the right treatment for the right person at the right time. And that's, that's what I do on a day-to-day basis is I try to be the person that puts all the puzzle pieces together. I pick the right circumstances. It just so happens that a lot of the times needles are the way I go. I know a lot of people that follow me. I do a lot of dry needling just because I think it's very, very beneficial and effective and quick. Um, but, but sometimes adjustments the right pick. Sometimes uh, IASTM or tool scra- scraping is the right pick. Sometimes cupping is the right pick. It all depends on what the athlete or the person presents with. And going back to what I do every day, that's what I do is I figure out what's going on with you, whether you're coming to me for straight healthcare. You, hey, you hurt your foot and we have to figure out is that bone not moving? Uh, is is that joint stuck? Is the soft tissue in the area the main problem? Or I know crazy thought, you're allowed to have more than one problem. Maybe it's all this shit put <laughs> together. But that's what I do on a day-to-day basis, realistically, is to answer your question is that that's I try to figure out all these different facets, put them together in a night concealed tight package, and then help get that athlete or get that person back to 100%, if not 110%, as fast as possible by combining adjustments, soft tissue work, which consists of scraping, cupping, needling, manual work, like pin and stretch. Can't say ART because I don't want fucking Pat Leahy to sue me. Um, and then realistically rehab. And then as we know, rehab and training are the same fucking thing. It's just the right tool for the right circumstance. Hey, maybe you change your sets and reps. Maybe you change the the trunk demands of the work. Maybe you do half kneeling instead of full standing, all these different things. And combining all those different facets are what allows me to get people back to what they're doing as fast as possible and back onto the mat, into the cage at a hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that was a brilliant follow-up because that was my next question is like, we're talking a lot about the the recovery modalities and, and tools that, that you correctly diagnosed. And I think you're hundred percent on the investigative work and the diagnostic is the, that's the part that everybody's interested in. Like, you know, if you, when you watch the police thrillers, it's not the, the climax is not the policeman going to make the arrest. The climax is when you hit the bullet or hit the um, bullseye and you know, what's going on. Right. right. It's when they're at the fucking out. whiteboard and they circle the person's face. Yeah, that's exactly. the fucking climax. Exactly. The investigative <laughs> work is the journey, but um, with all that being said, where does strength tie into your practice? Because again, you do your, your strength and conditioning on, on your own and you are a strength and conditioning coach. Where did you see a need for that evolve out of your performance care? Um, actually, I mean, honestly, it, 
I, it was brought to me by one of my athletes one time. I never planned on getting into straight up strength and conditioning. Um, it was you always hated me for doing it. <laughs> well, I didn't hate you for doing it, but I just, I like doing hands on work. Dumb. <laughs> well, I just, I never want to. All right. Here's the deal. This is what <laughs> I, I never wanted a scope of practice to limit how, how much I could help a person. That's why I got into healthcare in the first place. It's not that I ever thought that, uh, strength and conditioning was wrong, but I know that sometimes you need to put hands on somebody. Sometimes you need to do different correctives or different things on the table. That'll also benefit them in a performance aspect. But realistically, how strength came into play was uh, Henry Corrales, one of my athletes. I was working on him. I was, I was doing some healthcare for him. Um, and then with the rehab we were doing crazy, I know looked like strength and conditioning. Um, and he, he had asked me, he's like, Hey, um, this, this is really similar to what I was doing at the place he was at before really, really well-known strength conditioning place. Um, but me and you have this uh, really good relationship and I kind of like that you can do the recovery aspects as well. Would you, would you want to run my next camp strength conditioning? And I felt comfortable doing that. That was my past. That's, I was doing that in Portland while I was in Cairo school. I was technically my title is director of performance at a small gym in Portland. Um, so I, I was doing that in Portland anyways. I'm like, yeah, sure. I, I can do your strength conditioning. That's fine. Um, so I went through, went back over all my resources and all these different things. And I ran his camp and that's kind of how it started. And then from there, it's kind of boiled into now I do actually a lot more strength conditioning than I do actually being a doctor, which <laughs> is funny because I, I, I like the clinical role a lot. I'm a big fan of the clinical role. Um, and I love strength conditioning too, but I, I love that clinical role. So it's, it's nice that my practice now after the most, this most recent thing, and there's not a lot of people in camp right now, now it's kind of going back towards the clinical side. Cause that's kind of how my spectrum is when there's a bunch of people in camp, it's a whole bunch of training. And then yeah. right after my cluster of fights is over, it's a whole <laughs> bunch of, hey, I got fucked up in this fight. What can we do here? Well, hopefully and your athletes do, do more of the fucking up than getting fucked up. But. Eh, no, Matt, bro, if you, step <laughs> into a, if you step into a cage even for a minute, I guarantee your hand's going to hurt from that knockout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's, that's kind of how the strength aspect came about. Um, and... I, honestly, I love what I do. And, and I'm happy that Henry trusted me enough that first time I was working with him to bring that up because that's, that started my whole practice. And now I'm up to about, and I'm not just working with MMA anymore. I have football, I have NFL players, I have golfers, um, baseball players. I, I got the gamut. And it's, it's nice because I get to see every athlete through a different lens than a typical healthcare person or a typical strength and conditioning coach or a typical skill coach because I do have an understanding of all three aspects. Yeah. Yeah. That is really cool. Uh, sure. Where was I going to go off that? I had, um, so your love for the clinical role, and I know you said you ultimately want to be like a director of performance care, um, for whatever warrior sports wellness or for whatever building a fighter evolve into. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so what is your vision? And, and let's talk about, and again, I might know of some of the answers to this already, but let's talk about what's your vision for your warrior sports wellness business and for building a fighter. What's, what's the, the overarching vision for that? Um, so for me, warrior sports wellness is always going to be my proof of concept, if you will. So mm -hmm. warrior sports wellness is going to be my home base. Um, I don't really need that to grow to multiple facilities. I know a lot of people in my field, they want to have big facilities. They want to have multiple people. They want to have all these different things. And that's not really me. I'd like to have a small tight knit team uh, of 
two, three, maybe four people, mm-hmm. um, all focusing on the local Phoenix to Scottsdale area and trying to make the fighters in the, I want to be that one-stop shop in the Phoenix and Scottsdale area, where if you're a fighter, you know, Hey, Warrior sports wellness is the place that they're going to look after you. You're going to be as best as you possibly can be on the performance side. If you go to that place, but that's always going to be, um, I guess I would say my clinical side of things. Now in reality, how I would like to, and, and that's going to be to circle back to that. That's going to be, that's my five-year goals, right? My 10, 15, 20-year goals um, are, are to make building a fighter take off and to spread how, how I operate, how we operate as best as I can and try to teach different people around the country how to care about a combat app. Like it's, it's one of those sports that doesn't, doesn't get a whole bunch of notoriety because not a lot of people understand it. Like there's still doctors telling fighters, like a fucking orthopedic surgeon told my fighter, you should stop fighting because he had bone chips in his elbow. The fuck out of here. Like he's, he's making a good profession. Yeah. Yeah. This is how he makes his money. You're going to tell him to stop because he's got bone chips in his elbow. Fuck you. Like, and like that exact conversation, I guarantee is had, every day over the entire country with people that aren't necessarily a top tier uh top promotion athlete it could be had with an amateur fighter but in reality if 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 that surgeon or that chiropractor or that personal trainer or that physical therapist understood the sport a little bit better and understood the passion that these athletes have for their sport then that conversation would never be had in the first place and those thoughts are never going to be put into that athlete's mind because all it takes is one little seedling one little seedling of somebody that you respect saying, Hey, maybe you shouldn't do this anymore. And that can put a cascade of events to where that athlete has self-doubt and you never want to have self-doubt when you step into a cage with another fucking human. So my, my overall arching goal is to kind of change, not kind of to absolutely change the way that combat athletes of all, of all skill sets, not just MMA fighters, wrestlers, Muay Thai, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, judo, boxing, combat athletes in general, how they're cared for, how they're trained, how they're, how they're coached, skill coaching, and then how they, how they actually go about their nutrition. Because all of those different facets, the only way that this sport grows is if the, the support staff behind them also grows. If we want to lead, we might as well fucking lead from the front. So I want building a fighter to be the thing that helps grow that sport to the level of the NFL to the level of the MLB and really help these athletes the best way we can. Because guess what? If these athletes are all still doing eight week fight camps, 10 years from now, we have fucked up. Me and Alex have fucked up our job. If they're only training for eight weeks at a time and then they take off two months to go party and fucking just pop mollies and go to raves (laughs) every night, like then, then our journey hasn't benefited the athletes the best it can. Because I guarantee you, I've been around enough top level athletes to know those people that are at the tops of their sports, those people that are in the NFL while they do, they do party, they do have fun, right? But when they're in, when, when they're going, they're going and they only take one, if you're the cream of the crop, they only take one, maybe two months off and they're on for 10 months, not, Hey, I'm going to train for eight weeks and then I'm going to be off for eight weeks. So that's, that's really what, where I want to go is I want to take building a fighter to the next level. Um, I want to be worldwide in 15 years. That's my goal. I want to be able to do our seminars, do our courses um, over in Australia, down in South America. A goal of mine is to be able to teach a course that I need a fucking translator for. 
like that's i think that would be extremely cool that i go to fucking serbia and i can't even speak their language but they want to see me they, they want to see me talk and they care enough about what i have to say and the, not just what i have to say but the content that i can provide through the building a fighter platform that they want to come even though a translator has to say it because they know it's going to help their athletes the best because like it sounds cocky like what I'm saying, like, it's about me. It's not about me. I'm just the vehicle for trying to benefit their athletes. And that's what, that's what I want to do at the end of the day is in 10 to 15 years, I want to be able to help all of these different people around the world, help their athletes the best they can. And that's how I know I did a good job. Yeah. That, that is profound. I think that's a, it's a great vision. And I think you said you, you put it in the right scope as far as um, helping others, you know, but at, at at the same time, at the end of the day, you have to help yourself, right? You have to yeah. make yourself have the right ability because otherwise you're not doing your due diligence. And like you said, we're not doing our job. So no, I think well, that's- Yeah, I mean, bro, like, look, I'm not, I'm not remiss in saying like, look, I also expect to make a fuck ton of money. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not like I'm doing this for free, but the only way that I can help all of these different people is that if- I can also help myself and not have, because if I'm weren't like right now, I'm a new business owner of two separate businesses. I mean, I feel like people out there got to know I ain't rolling in it right now. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm stressed every day. Like uh, it's just new business owner stuff and I'm okay with that. But as soon as I'm like, I just signed a deal this week where I'm not going to have to worry about my business rent anymore because I have a consistent stream of income from a high school that's going to cover my business rent you know how much stress that took off of me that I can now, I don't have to worry about that. Now I can actually think about a little bit more and spend time planning a little bit more because I'm not trying to figure out, Hey, how am I going to afford my business rent this month? Like the only way that I can help as many people as possible is if my family is also helped by doing that. Cause it's not just about me. It's about me. It's about Lisa. It's about my future children. It's about being able to make them comfortable while I go out, because the only way that I can fulfill my goals is if they have the resources to then fulfill their goals as well. Yeah. Right. Because it's, I'm not, I, that's another thing is like, I never want to be that guy that puts business first forever. Like something I love that my dad did my entire life is my dad was always my coach football or not. I didn't play football, sorry, baseball, soccer, wrestling. My dad never fucking wrestled, but you best believe that he picked up as many books as he can. He talked to as many people as he could. He was on the mat every day trying to learn a sport that he knew nothing about because he knew that he saw the fire in my eyes when I stepped on the mat and put wrestling shoes on. And that's something I always want to do for my future kids because that's, that is the best way that I can serve is if I can serve the world as a whole. And also not neglect. Absolutely. I mean, like hold your priorities in check, but also, you know, make the impact that you want to make. Right. So, yeah. um, and if I get a jet or two, like Leahy on in between, that's cool. I'll be cool that, with that. That'd be real neat. That'd be neat. <laughs> oh, man. But no, man, I think that's what, what a scope, you know, changing the world, needing translators for, uh, for presentations to, to making rent. I mean, it just shows <laughs> the, the potential of, of where we're at and where we're going to go. So I, I don't know. You know, I, and I've always, envied your confidence confidence Austin I've always looked up to the the vision that you have and the belief in yourself that you have to get all that all of everything done because I you're going to be successful because you know you're going to be successful not because you're arrogant or because you're cocky about it but because you know the work that it takes but you also know that you're more than capable and more than willing to do that work so so that's definitely something that I've always looked up to in you Austin so 
I appreciate well, you was, for, yeah, go ahead. Sure. Well, no, I just like, it's to expand on that. Like I remember I can boil that down to a couple points, but one point that really stood out, remember Illinois Matman, that fucking site, yeah. the wrestling site. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's all these forums. Right. And I just remember there's this kid named Stefan scales wrestled for Hershey <laughs> and uh, his, his dad was his biggest hype man. And and he would go on there talking up his kid all the time. Like, oh, Stefan's winning state this year. And Stefan's a great fucking wrestler. Like, I wrestled him. I think I went into overtime. With, I think I beat him in overtime. Um, but great wrestler. But his dad had all this belief. And he was, no matter, even if I beat him, he was still ranked mm-hmm. above me. <laughs> because his dad, it, because his name was, his name was always thrown out there by his dad. And, like, yeah. it was one of those things I asked my dad, like, why don't you do that? And he's like, and my dad's like, you don't i don't need to do that for you he's like you you do that with your performance you do that with your skills i don't need to do that for you but then i thought about that and i'm like yes i do all these different things and that's great but if you don't also if you're not also willing to say that you're fucking good at what you do if you're not willing to have the confidence to tell people like yeah i think i'm the best in the world at what i i've said it on this podcast before i'll say it again and i'll say it in front of anybody that fucking asks me. i think i'm the best at performance care in the fucking world for a combat app. and if you're not willing to say that nobody else will i promise yeah. you that <laughs> absolutely <laughs> like, and that's that's just a that's a guiding concept that i live my life by is like i'm i'm not going to be the cocky one i'm not going to be the arrogant one i'm always going to be the one putting in the work but if somebody asks me a question about shit like this I'm fine saying that I think I'm the best because like I said, if, if you ain't going to say it, nobody else is. Nobody cares about you. Like you care about it. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Like, and, and not only if you're not going to say it, nobody else to say, it. if you don't believe it, then it's not going to become true. Either. True. hundred yeah. percent. And and if you say it and don't believe it, well, fuck, that's even worse. Yeah. Then you're just a <laughs> like, then you're asshole. just an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> then you're just an asshole. Yeah. Right, so, but don't don't yeah. consciously lie to people about your ability. Yeah, it's a, yeah. That's a good thing not to do. It's a good do. good principle to live by. <laughs> but no. But so fuck yeah, I mean, dude. That's uh, all the questions that I have, Austin. I think uh we did a good job uh getting your background and get also, you know, who you are, what you do and, and, and where you're going. I mean, like I said, I'm excited just for the ride with you, man. I love being your side, I love being your best friend and running a business together. This has been one of the most fun things that I think you always saw coming that I didn't always see coming. So, bro, I am omniscient. <laughs> I see this shit. This is this is the <laughs> bad side of that confidence. So. Nah, but it, it's fucking fun, dude. I'm I'm excited for where we're going, and I'm excited to interview you on the next one of these. Yeah, uh, I can only imagine where that's gonna go. So, oh, I'm gonna fucking <laughs> just go at you. Please, please roast me. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Uh, all right. Do so, it. Do the, my, do the ending. Time to you build, invite do, yes. doing the, the outro. Wow. This is this is too much for me right now. So um like, share, subscribe, do all that stuff. Let us uh become friends with your friends and so that we can continue on our mission to help everybody, especially in the uh combat sports realm and spread the knowledge that we have and you know, hopefully just do some good in the world. So this is Building Fighter. My name is Alex Friedman. Dr. Austin Shane. And we are out.